Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Ars Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Rabbi Mali Bravsky from Gush Etzion and Harab Johnny Salman from Eben Shmuel. We never did the frums, right, where you're, where you're from. Uh, and, and they also work at places, too. They can tell you their own. Uh, today, we're going to discuss... We're going to discuss anti-Semitism. But we're going to discuss it in light of, I mean, we all know about the, the, the racial riots and the increased sensitivity in light of the terrible tragedies that have happened in America, uh, George Floyd and the results of that. And then recently, an NFL player named Deshaun Jackson posted quotes, faux quotes from Hitler, uh, promoting tropes about Jews. And the response was uh, muted, to say the least. And that highlight, that prompted an article from Mitch Album who is also a sports writer and also an author, a pretty famous author, at least I've heard, okay? And uh, an article in the Detroit Free Press. The reason I say this, I'm, I was, I'm from uh, Detroit, suburban Detroit, so I know I'm as a sports writer, uh, about a double standard that exists vis-a-vis anti-Semitism, where, whereas it, hatred of other races or other religions or what have you are rejected and repudiated and punished, and when you express anti-Semitic uh, sentiments, uh, Maybe you shouldn't have said that, no, no, pasnisht. And uh, all of this, uh, what this does is it obviously highlights for us Jews a, a, a double standard. It just reinforces the, the, the recognition that anti-Semitism has not gone away. I mean, we've heard more and more how it's getting worse. Uh, I, obviously, shootings in America and beatings in France. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's rising and it's rearing its ugly head. And despite, like I always think, despite all the buildings of the, all the Holocaust museums around the world, somehow that hasn't convinced people that they shouldn't hate Jews. And so I wanted to start with, the, first we're going to start with a the theological perspective. Because we're not going to, if you're listening to us, you know about anti-Semitism, you know what it is, you know what it's not. But how do we understand it from a Jewish thought perspective? Is there anything we can do about it? Is, 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 is it just a reality that we have to address and be aware of? And, and if so, how do we res- respond to it as religious Jews? And I want to start with Molly and ask you if you can address, from your perspective, how you think about anti-Semitism as a, as a faithful Jew. Okay, that's a really heavy question. Um, you really want to start with me? I feel like you, when you start with Johnny... I actually said I was going to start with you, and you said, okay. <laughs> I know, but I didn't, I didn't really have a chance to think about this. Yeah. No, it, Okay. Can you ask me a more direct question? Like, can you direct your question to me more specifically? Yeah. Does it affect your faith in God, the fact that, that mm. Jews seem, seem to have um, um, dealt with irrational hatred for our entire existence? Does that affect your relationship with God? Does that raise questions vis-a-vis yourself? And how do you, how do you see this? I'll put it this way. To me, it's a reality. Anti-Semitism is a reality. No matter how long we dealt with it, it goes up and down, worse, better, worse. But nonetheless, it's just there. We're supposed to be over the Hashem. We're supposed to be worship God. We're supposed to bring God to the world. And yet. Okay, so that's a great, okay, that's a helpful frame for me. So first of all, I think that like, if I wanted to stay in the realm of the rational, I could probably analyze it from a rational slash historical perspective and theoretically come out with a explanation that would make sense right meaning um one, one of the things that i that we had discussed before the podcast is uh, jonathan sachs has i think a very very nice piece on anti-semitism 
where he looks at it from a historical perspective, tries to understand where it comes from. Um, he ends up by saying that, that, that basically it's about scapegoating and about when you can't look at your own flaws, you need to find an other for whom to, whom, for whom to blame. The Jews historically have always been that other, no matter where and no matter in what context. So I think that you could, you could go that like rational route. I think also... Yeah, the problem I have with that, I mean, it's wonderful... But yeah. why Jews? What was it about us? Why can't they? There's always somebody okay, else. Fine. So, fine. Meaning, so, like, so good. How does so, that help? So, okay, so I'll give you two. Let me just answer that. So one thing I could do is you could say, like, one of the reasons in America right now is because we're no longer, um, we don't look oppressed. You know, Jews are fabulously successful in many ways. So, like, no one's going to buy the oppression narrative. It's You know, and that's also interesting. Why is it that Jews don't look oppressed as, as a social group? And But at the same time, I am with you, Ruby. At the end of the day, I there, there's a there's a I, I, I say that I said this before in the podcast, but I I come from a European family and I grew up with a awareness of of um, anti-Semitism that exists. Period. One of the jokes in my family was um, it, it's told maybe in Yiddish or in German. Something bad happens. And you know the 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 answer is it's all the fault of the bicyclists and the Jews. So what's the response? Why the bicyclists? And what's the answer? Why the Jews? Right? And that... You know, I guess it's funnier in German. I don't know. Can you maybe tell it in German? German or in Yiddish. But it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's funny just because it's true. Like, it's always like, why the Jews? There's no answer. But it's always the Jews' fault. Um, and I think that, that that's something that I always knew on a very fundamental level. Like, it, it, like it's not like if only we did this. If only we weren't... Um, you know, too wealthy, if only we weren't too non-wealthy. Also, if you learn history, if you learn Jewish history, exactly, you know, I don't know if you said it or if I'm just remembering from um, from Jonathan Sachs. Like, we've been hated for having too much money. We've been hated for having for being too poor and not being part of the, the culture. We've been hated for being too similar. We've been hated for being not similar enough. We've been hated for being too educated. We've been hated for being uneducated. So it's like this idea that if only we Jews would shape up and um, it, it was Herzl's question, what can I do to eradicate anti-Semitism? And his answer first was nothing, convert to Christianity, right? Um, there's absolutely nothing to do. Or finally, give up and say, I can't eradicate anti-Semitism, so the only thing I can do is create a homeland for the Jewish people where they'll be safe from anti-Semitism. So I believe that. I do believe that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to, um, to stop anti-Semitism. It's, it's, it's and whether or not... There can be a rational explanation for it. I have very little hope that there's anything we can do as Jews to actually eradicate that virus. Um, I don't know if you like that word or don't like that word virus, but but that that you don't you don't like that word, so whatever that that uh, phenomenon, let's say. Um, so so therefore, to me, the only solution is to keep ourselves keep our you know guns dry and our muskets ready. Well, but before wait wait before we get to solutions. If right. you, you believe asked me about theology, you asked me. That's right. Asked. That's what I wanted to get to. If you believe okay. it's a it's a supernatural, a non-rational reality, what that means is that some non-rational being embedded it right. into our reality, i.e. Okay, so, so the Shalom. Right. I I'm I'm going to try to split the difference here, and I don't know if anybody will be happy with my answer, but I'm I'm asking you actually I'm asking you as an educator in Jewish thought who is thought about these right. things so and read about that's, these that's things. That's why I want to say this very them. carefully, because I want to say this in a way that's coherent from a philosophical perspective, which is I want to be careful about saying that I know why God does things. 
I know why God makes anti-Semitism. I know why God has put anti-Semitism into the world. I don't, I'm not comfortable with that language. I don't know why God does things definitively. The language that I'm more comfortable with is, um, if I observe this phenomenon, what should be my response, right? Meaning not, I, I don't like the what, I'd rather go to the why. Um, and so, or, or what meaning can I make of it? Even if these are like possibilities, these are options of perhaps ways of looking at this. Maybe they're, well, maybe they're true, maybe they're not true, doesn't matter, they're functionally useful for me. So to me, I would say, what are some functional outcomes of anti-Semitism that are lessons that I take away? They would be, again, it, it, it will always exist, so don't think that you can assimilate it away. Um, that's never gonna happen. It, it actually, anti-Semitism has served a function for the Jewish people of, um, there was, there, Rabbi Alan Haber used to teach a class at MMY called Am Levadad Yishkon. And his basic, and you know what, I don't even have to, you know, Rabbi Haber says this, but Rabbi says this at the end of Kodo um, Dido Fake, where he says, like, anti-Semitism exists, we will always be seen as other, we will always um, be excluded, we will always be seen as different. We have to decide how we want to take that. Do we want to respond to that from a place of what he calls Brit um, Goral, it's our common fate, and you know, we're the persecuted people, or do we want to take that to a place of Brit Yud, of destiny, and say, yes, we are people apart, and can we elevate our apartness, not just to a place of we're apart because we're always persecuted together, but can we take our set apartness and elevate that to a place of, um, we, we are, we're going to use our, we're going to kind of kind of draw on our um, um, internal resources to, to elevate ourselves so that we can be a blessing to ourselves and to humanity. Okay, I want to turn to Johnny. Johnny, yeah. I, I want to ask you to follow up on what Molly said. You know, I look at it from the from like in a Torah perspective, from the you know the existence, even from the from the very creation of Am Yisrael, from right after Yetzirah. So I am the next thing that we read is Vayavo Amalek, the presence of Amalek, and obviously it's not. I don't think that God created Amalek, but in a sense, in the world, the existence of the Jewish people somehow seems to be to necessitate or 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 demand the presence of an Amalek until they, like, you know, until one beats the other, until we finally eradicate Amalek, or Amalek eradicates us. It's like a, a struggle to the death, one to the next. Can, can you expand in your mind on how Molly describes it? She described the, you know, the what, not the why. I'm more interested in the why, if, if you're comfortable, trying to come to a little bit of a deeper understanding of why do we need this foil, or why does God, why does reality seem to require this foil, this antithesis of the Jewish people to exist in the world to, that corresponds to, to our desire, to our national desire, our national yearning to bring God into the world? Okay, so uh, firstly, I agree with pretty much everything that Mali's just said, and also in particular how she said it, some of her citations from from Rabbi Sachs uh, and of course from Rav Soloveitchik. I, I want to just go back to Rabbi Sachs, as you know, I'm uh, heavily influenced uh, by him and he's written and spoken quite a lot about the topic and then start answering your question because he defines anti-Semitism as the hatred of difference, really the hatred of other. I wouldn't say the hatred of the other because 
let's be perfectly clear. Numerous nations have been hated over the years. We've been a perpetual nation. We've been around for many thousands of years. And as a result of that, that hatred has been present for all the time we've been around. And why so? Because we are the definition, not the sole expression of, but with a definition of difference. A people with a conscience. A people with an understanding of uh, being moral and going against the grain, going against society, being countercultural in order to observe uh, and be loyal to our values. And that agitates other people. That bothers other people. Let's be perfectly clear. You know, you're asking the question of why are we persecuted? I'd ask a different question. Why do persecutors persecute? Why do bullies bully? And oftentimes it's actually because of their weakness, not their strength. It's because of the fact that they see in another a quality which, though certainly within their realm of possibility for them to adopt, they choose not to. The Jewish people, uh, since its inception, have been a people who have stood for, for morality, who've uh, stood for the sanctity of life, who've stood for a sense of brotherhood and sisterhood. And all other nations who've attacked us have not been prepared to stand those ideas. They've been pagan nations. They've been idolatrous nations. They've been nations who can't settle with those ideas or won't settle with those ideas. And that itself is an expression of their weakness. And in so doing, in many ways, a complement of our strength. That doesn't mean that I'm comfortable with the existence of anti-Semitism, but it's always important that though it may happen to us, it's not our pro it's not a problem we've created. It's a problem that has come from different people at different times, as Rabbi Sachs says, and it's mutated. Sometimes because we're a race, sometimes because we're a religion, sometimes because of our cultural and, and uh, contribution, sometimes to do with the state of Israel. Whatever it is, there's another reason. But it's always a reason why the Jew seems to be different from other people, and people are finding that to be offensive. Naturally, but you're actually arguing, and I think you're right. Sometimes I supernaturally, as if to say, there's no rationale, for example, why the state of Israel should bother somebody who lives in the UK and the US, right? What is Israel doing to harm them? But they choose to be bothered. Why so? Why are they Can I so... Can ask a question? Yeah. Sorry, Johnny. Go okay, for it. because I, I, I've been... This is something I'm curious about. I'd be curious how this would fit into what you're saying. There's a new strain of anti-Semitism out there that I'm encountering on the internet, and this is how it goes. Now it's the Jews are the source of all moral depravity, okay? So they'll point to something they call the Frankfurt School in Germany, which was the beginning, what they will claim is the, the, the beginning of the erosion of morals within German culture. Um, and, and, and they will say, therefore, that's... That, that's almost the seeds of, you know, what what led to Hitler's rise, and, and then they'll, I, I won't go farther where they go with their anti-Semitism. Today they'll say, if, and again, this is, this is coming from people on the right, right, who are very disturbed by the far left, and they'll say, you know, everybody in politics, everybody in the, they're all Jews, you know, and then it doesn't help us that they'll be able to point to Jeffrey Epstein, and they'll be able to point to um, his sidekick now, uh, who was just arrested, Jelaine Maxwell, Jews, right? And so they they will say that... Yeah, but Molly on the left, I'll just point out all the Jews on the second, right. What's the of point? Course, of course, but what I'm saying is, this argument that Johnny's making, that, you know, Jews have always stood for the good, 
and and people can't take it and therefore but today there are people who are saying no the jews stand for i mean i guess it's always been true but i'm just wondering what they're arguing now is that jews are undermining society they're standing for the immorality right but, but this is an excuse i mean for example I'd love, uh, you know, let's play just but for this, the sake I'm of sorry, I want to just, uh, could I just flesh out my questions because I realize sure. is. My question is, I get that the people who are starting these conspiracy theories, they are bad actors, right? Meaning people who start the theories are, are, are just anti-Semites. But it sounds good to, to sometimes people who are good actors, people who are sincerely, um, you know, looking to make the world a better place, and they're they're fed these types of lines, and these are good people, and this can actually be convincing to them. So, I, I think most like, people, Molly, I think most people like that. Take a football player. I don't think no, I don't think this football player is a bad guy. Question, that the root is bad, but then it can suck good people in. But still, I guess I'm I, that, I guess I'm answering my own question, but I, I still would like to hear Johnny. Okay, I, I wanna I wanna wrap up the I wanna move on to a different to a different topic, Johnny. Would you like to add something theological? Well, let me just briefly. I want you to, to I want you to frame it in a faith kind of sense, not just okay. in a. In, okay, so I'm, I I will do exactly that. You see, but uh, I'd love to ask whichever kind of strain of anti-Semite, you know, please write a critique of Shlomo Zaman Orbach. You know, I'd like meaning there's a certain type of Jew they go after meaning oftentimes, not always, right, the failed Jew. And they say the failed Jew, or the one who's criminal, or the one who is involved with things that have done terrible uh, service to society, of which, sadly, there are way too many. And that, by the way, should bother us. And in fact, I'll actually say that's something we should be talking about on a future occasion. But they go after those, and then they universalize them. They say, you see, all Jews are like that. And say, well, one second, you know, did you meet my neighbors who... You know, who work with many people of many other faiths to save lives on a daily level. You know, do you meet the scholars? Do you meet the ambassadors? Do you meet the diplomats? Do you meet the people who do all they can to come up with medical solutions and they share it for free with the rest of the world? You're not really interested about it. You're of trying to not. find a reason. So yeah. so it goes okay, back to this question mm -hmm. of the hatred of of difference, which is oftentimes unfortunately present in many people and i'd say sometimes also present in many jews uh and then seeing the jew uh, as a powerful expression of the difference and then finding a jew who has enough uh you know challenges or or, or negative expressions to then use them as a motif as a justification for saying therefore that's why the you know the jews are, are part of the problem because everybody for centuries of our interest in trying to play this blame game so to answer ruby's question about theology as i say is it because jews uh we have an issue where jews are meant to stand for the, for the moral uh you know right side of the line but sometimes they don't and that's then manipulated for those who wish to do bad again yeah, with that johnny how's that theology how does that how does that play into your sense of faith? Are you saying that anti-Semitism stems from Jews? I've heard this before. Jews who don't act as proper Jews, I mean, from the Torah perspective, or that has nothing to do with it? Because plenty of Jews, plenty of very religious Jews who, who did everything the Torah asked of them were also victims of anti-Semitism. Just, uh, uh, you know, read Jewish history. <laughs> which is precisely why, you know, I, I, you get, if you start, and start talking about kind of like Holocaust theology uh, and starting to say to what extent is this purely the work of God and not the act of humanity? I get uncomfortable. I cite uh, 
you know, that, a, a very powerful line from the nine questions people ask about Judaism. God didn't create the, the, the crematorium Auschwitz, mankind did. The Holocaust may make faith in God difficult, but it makes faith in mankind impossible. It's important that we don't put more blame on God than on the bullies, than on our Maliks, than on the people who have decided that Jews deserve punishment even before one has even spoken, even before one has already uh, expressed themselves. It, it, it's, it's sometimes theology is used as a way of excusing the anti-Semite, and I object to that. I understand, I understand what you're saying, but then the Gemara uses a language, very famous language of Halakha Esav Soneit Yaakov. And that language, they didn't use it by accident. Halakha means it's a, it's, it's a truism, it's a statute, it's a religious statute. Now, we could debate how to interpret it nowadays and whether it's politically correct, but Chazal said it. And they said it in that way. They so said that, that, that has they, meaning. They, they also spoke about halakha in terms of where a person uses a bathroom. And, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to be flippant here. But I'd say that that phrase of Chazal is way too often overstretched. As if to justify... No, no, I'm not asking you to overstretch it. I'm just asking you to acknowledge that they said it in that way. That they, they phrased it in that way. They phrased that, that it as... Per- a, they didn't phrase it as axiom or emet or whatever. They said halakha. It, they, they put it in a religious framework. They were speaking in a religious well, framework. Well, I, th- I think that they're phrasing <laughs> axiomatically and using religious language. I mean, it, I suppose, what, okay. what do you see? I would uh, also say, Ruby, yeah. that maybe the reason they're saying it like that is, is, again, going back to my point, which is to lest you think that there's something you can do about this. If only I were more X, if only I were more, more Y, if only they loved me more. No, like, like, you know, don't don't it's don't go down that path. Um, you know, you do what you need to do. Don't be surprised by this. It's going to recur historically again. I agree with you. I don't think it's politically correct, but I think I, I, I do think that it's historically correct. And 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 you know, and whether they phrased it as halacha for Johnny's point, which I think is a very nice one, which is um, I forgot what it was. <laughs> One second, just well, lost. I was about to phrase in the halacha language. But, yeah, to, to put the blame on the bullies rather than on... No, I, I agree with that. I understand all of that. Which is, but, um, you know, yeah. don't think that, like, if I only appease... If only I appease the bullies, things will change, which Jews have done. That's why they're saying halacha, whatever it is, halacha pshuta, halacha... I don't remember what the phrase is. By the way, I, I just... No, just right? uh, it's a to... historical reality. Accept it. Live with it. By the way, it's also part of, like, the Gimel Shvuot, like, which I think, you know, we could talk about that in Zionism, but it's also there, like, know it, accept it. You are under the yoke of the Gaim. This is what this is what Jewish history. Yeah, don't forget well, what, the third the third and the third shvuah. We'll talk about it another time. Was yeah, that they shouldn't the shalom, they shouldn't do it too but, much. But really, it also gave we we live. I want to say something else, which is we live almost in a. You wanted to talk about this too, which I think you're. Oh about well, to. let me get to that. One second. I'm before we get to okay, that. Wait, okay. Can I just say one thing? But I won't say this. I first started sentence. <laughs> but I'll say the second part of my sentence, which is, it probably gave. <laughs> sorry, it probably gave Jews tremendous uh, hope to survive two thousand years of exile. To, to go from one pogrom to the other, to go from one expulsion to the other, to just kind of put it in that theological context of knowing, like, this is my fate, this is, and maybe this is another piece of it, this is part, like, there, there is this language in Halakha, and there is this sense in Halakha, but, like, we are being punished, like, from Chorban to Geula, part of this is, is, is on a larger scale, some type of, of atonement for, for something, and I mean, Ruf Cook says this, you know, and at a some, certain point, it'll be time to return to the land. But I, I, again, whether or not that resonates with us today, I think it probably resonated with Jews in the Middle Ages and gave them 
a way to continue and a way to survive and a way to rebuild anew to kind of have a have a theological like you said to have a theological answer for their suffering was very important if they didn't have a a place to put it how would they have survived how would I they agree. Have survived? okay i want to turn it to the, i want to i want to turn it to the very practical well, you can so you can you choose, so. yeah well, but just before you do so because you know you cite but you forget or maybe you don't forget that there are that cited uh i think once or and obviously then repeated but there are many Mamre Chazal from the Gemara from the Midrash which identify who is Esav, right? Who is Yavan? So Esav isn't all non-Jews. You see, that's part and parcel, unfortunately, mm-hmm. of the overuse and overstretching of yeah. that paraphrase. Esav was generally understood. Again, there are different scholars, different approaches to refer to the 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 the, um, the, the early church and the early church followers. Others associate with other nations, etc. It's, it's about a particular group of people. That is explicit on in many, many Mamre Chazal, um, say in the Gemara and Medrash elsewhere, which are contemporaneous to that statement. Once you use that statement about all non-Jews, huh. then you universalize a actually quite limited statement, which we can grapple with. What do we mean by halachan? How is that term particularly used? I'm not pushing back on the existence of that phrase, but I do believe that phrase needs a little bit of pushback about it suggesting being code. So we say like the Fermat's last theorem for understanding all anti-Semitism. I don't think it is. I think far, far uh, I think, more, Johnny, you know, I think you, I think you're complaining two things. We're talking about anti-Semitism, and it's not talking about all non-Jews. God forbid that all non-Jews are anti-Semites. God forbid we should say such a thing. I don't think such a thing. I know halakha, the way, you know, you know, know that there is been invoked that way by many. I never heard it. I, from my whole Haredi, this Yaakov upbringing, that's not how I heard it. I never heard it that all non-Jews dislike, uh, you know, are anti-Semites. I always heard it as, don't be surprised when it comes to a neighborhood near you, uh, you know, in your era. That's how I always heard it. Now, Correct, it, but again, is that, is that what the Mama Chazal meant? Why's that? Okay, well, let's we'll, we'll, we'll move it back. Our listeners will 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 come back to us and tell us if they think so. I, I would be remiss if I, I didn't say that part of this part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this was Rabbi Beryl Wine's article that he published in wherever that everybody saw, where he basically said, you know, I used to think America was different. You know, Johnny, as the our resident Brit, won't get this. He said, I used to think America was different that it couldn't happen here or there, or whatever it is. But I think it can now. I, I think I changed my mind, which is interesting. Okay, I'm going to turn to something very practical, and you can choose not to answer. Um, or maybe you can't. Uh, I'll start with Johnny. Was anti-Semitism, or the specter of it, or the notion of it, did that play a role in your decision to make Aliyah? Um, no, but that doesn't mean that anti-Semitism doesn't play a role in the existence of the state of Israel. Oh, no, I'll leave it at that. Okay, Molly. Um, I will say like this. I will say um, the the my awareness that um, even America, for all its greatness, and we can have you know I could really go into my tremendous appreciation and love for America. My awareness of two things. One is America has a history of anti-Semitism, and 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 we have to know that. Um, and the awareness that. For all America's greatness, I never thought, there were some people who really thought America is, as you said, like America is fundamentally different. It's, it's, it's not European. It's not, you know, doesn't come from that, that place. 
and 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 it, it can't happen here. I never thought that. I always thought I don't know how it's going to happen here. It's not going to look the same as it, as it look it's looked in other places. It can happen here. Did that play a role in my aliyah? Not in the sense that I was afraid and I wanted to get out of America because I was afraid for my life. Certainly not the time I made aliyah. I came made aliyah out of love, not out of fear. But as an awareness that like I'm still a Gerber Toshav even in America. And that at some point, the golden age of America is probably going to end. Yes, somewhere in my mind. For all my love for America and my vast appreciation for America and even my willingness to consider that America is fundamentally a different experiment than any other nation on earth. Yes, um, for me, somewhere in my head, there was always an awareness. Golden age of Spain finished. Um, you know, the golden age of, of, of any other place in Europe finished. The golden age of America can finish yes i, I oh, how long this is going to stretch this but even bavel ended and so will america and so it's interesting yeah because I, I actually agree with almost almost every word that you said and it wasn't i didn't move make move to israel because, out of fear and i actually have to tell you in my own life i i can't i can't think of a time where i really personally experienced anti-semitism and now that we think about that and you realize how unique that is in in jewish history but as a, as, a, as a student of Jewish history, you, you start to think to yourself, like, can you name, okay, name a, an exile which ended well for the Jews? And the answer is, you, you basically can't. And so I, I, thought, I started to think to myself, like, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I, I feel fine. I'm not worried about myself. But, you know, like, I, I, again, it was another, like, a story by Barrow Wine. He tells a story. And sometimes, like, these stories have an, uh, have an impact on you. On the winter, when they were building the yeshiva, they said, oh, we're... We, we have this opportunity to get this amazing wood for the frame of the yeshiva. And, uh, and it, we just spent like a couple, you know, $10,000 more and it'll last 75 years or like 100 years for the, for the frame of the yeshiva building. And he said, I'm not aware of any yeshiva that lasts more than 75 years, you know, for whatever, for different reasons. And it just, it, it struck me that I don't know if I'm making the decision for myself or for my children, or for my grandchildren. And obviously, the decision has to be much more about the positives, and I thank God every day that I made the decision and brought them to this place, and, and a place of so, so much more meaning and depth, and, and I'm so happy that I did it, even though it's hard, okay? I won't deny the hardness. And I didn't do it because of that, but in my mind, like you said, there was an awareness of, at some point, it's all gotta end. And you said, I don't, like, I think America is different, but it's not, in my mind, it's not that it could end. But if you say halacha, if that's part of my theology, it has to end. And I don't know when that's going to be. Hopefully, you know, long laughter, we're gone, but who knows? And, and that, that's, an, that's something that was, it, it just did, it definitely played a role in my mind. It definitely played a, played a role in, our, in, in my personal decision. I want to move on to a different question. We're all talking about anti-Semitism. But from a practical perspective, yes, I, I think in Israel we deal with a different reality. We deal with, there is hatred of Israel, but uh, the hatred of Israel, the terrorism we deal with, the enemies that we deal with is a national hatred. Not necessarily, uh, I would call it a Jewish hatred per se. In fact, our enemies always claim, we don't hate the Jews, we hate Israel. I don't know how true that is, it's impossible to know, but we don't relate to it, or I don't relate to it as anti-Semitism. I relate to it as enemies of Israel. Whereas my, our friends, our family members, they don't have enemies per se, they're all Americans, or they're all British, or they're all Australians, or they're all Spanish, or whatever. Uh, they're all Germans, but, or Austrians, but they have this specter of anti-Semitism. So my question for you is, do you think the fact, A, and not us per, per se, but I'm wondering, 
how has our perspective as the Jewish community changed vis-a-vis anti-Semitism because we're now viewing it through the prism of having a Jewish state? Meaning that all the 2,000 years of the Gola, anti-Semitism was the weak Jew being oppressed by the stronger non-Jew, no matter where you were. You were always at the, at the behest of, at the, you know, at the whim of the parutz, the parits, or whatever you call them, or the, or the bishop, or the, what, or the king, or the whatever. But that, that exists to a lesser degree now. And so my question is, has, has our attitude towards anti-Semitism changed because we have an Israel today? We'll start with Molly. Okay, so first of all, I, 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 I want to say that I, I'm not sure I would frame it the way you framed it, because I do think a lot of Arab anti-Semitism is actually anti-Semitism, meaning they're taught that Jews are apes and monkeys and subhuman. You're right, it might have a different motivation, but there is real anti-Semitism. But I do think that what you're saying is correct, which is that... No, I'm not saying they don't hate. I'm saying I don't relate to it as anti-Semitism. I relate to it as an enemy of the state. It could be. Maybe I could be wrong. I could be wrong. It's fair fair to say. What what I'm saying is it doesn't even almost matter because I think your second point is more important, which is that we are... I, I think that once we've returned to the state of Israel, we're in historical reality and... Those of us who live here have a whole, you're right, we, 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 our headspace is totally different. And there's a story by Ray Biskin that, let's see, let's see if I can get through it without crying. I don't know if I, I can, because I find it so moving. Um, he told a story of, um, you know, uh, some old grandfather, this is like, you know, many years ago when he told the story. So it was a Holocaust survivor grandfather who was telling his grandchild his, his, his story. You know, and he got to the part where the Nazis came and knocked on their door and took them all the way and took them to whichever death camp. And the grandson said... Saba, this was in Israel, grandchild was born in Israel, and the grandchild said, Saba, or Zaidi, whatever, I don't understand. How did that happen? Where was Sahal? And the grandfather said, it made a Shechianu. And he said, Shechianu is the Shigana Lazman Hazed, and my grandchild cannot conceive of a world without Sahal. And again, if we're going to quote Rav and call Dodito fake, that's one of the knocks, right? This is one of the knocks that Rav Soloveitchik talks about. Dami Hudi, I know, have care. Right? He says, we have, we're in a new, it's a fundamentally Zionism, and, the, and whatever you want to call it, you want to call it Zionism, you want to call it Reishit Tzimchat Kolaketeni, you want to call it Chatzat Gula. We are actually, the third Jewish commonwealth created a new historical reality for Jews that we haven't had since Chorban um, Bayit Sheni. And it's, it's, a different, it's a different historical reality. You know, when I teach um, the Megillah, and, and my students are like, I don't understand, what do you mean like... Um, the Jews like couldn't fight back until Achishverosh told them they could fight back. Like, what the heck is going on? I'm like, don't you understand that's the reality of Jews? Like, what do you think was happening in 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 Poland under uh, you know during the pogroms? You think they could fight back? Like, you just you can't conceive of a world in which Jews can't fight back, and and that's because we have the state of Israel. And so I do think that those of us who live here, it's 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 a Baruch Hashem that we it, it, it's like. Now there's anti-Semitism, but now it's okay because now I don't have to rely on anybody else to defend me. I can defend myself. With you have to do that, right? With God's help, mm-hmm. I I can now. Um, I, I we can now protect ourselves. And by the way, if you want to talk of theology, I also think that there it's not just oh we can protect ourselves. I think that the sense that Hashem, that that God has returned us to our land and He's part of this enterprise, I think also gives people the feeling God's on our side and He's helping us. Right? It's like not just, oh, thank, you, know, you know, secular Zionists in the early you know, beginning of the state, they talked about this from like a purely 
physical, you know, um, uh, guarantee. But 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 a purely physical guarantee is not enough for me because seriously, like, how long are we going to be able to hold out against you know one tiny little country here with the? It's just not rational, right? This it's like we're in a, we're in a lousy neighborhood for survival. But if you add a theological piece, which I personally believe, which is God is with us and, 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 and being back here is God's hand. So once you add that, it's like, now we can defend ourselves. Now we're back in our homeland. And with God at our side, bring it on. Not that, not that I want you to bring it on. Please don't bring it on. <laughs> bring it, don't bring it on. If you bring it on, we can, we're okay. See, it's really interesting. I was reading, I don't know if you read, did you read Daniel Gordas' response to Peter Biden's yeah. piece? So he mentions this. He says that for many Jews in the Gola, he says their relationship to Israel has to do with preventing another Holocaust and defending Israel. And that's why they always run and defend Israel. I'll never forget, I'll never forget when, when we told my wife's grandparents that we're moving to Israel. So let's, let's, let's just say in an understatement, we, I loved Safta, Aleha, Shalom. She's wonderful. But she was not thrilled that her great-grandchildren would be moving halfway around the world, which I can understand. And her line was, in her, in her, in her New York accent, Israel is for the people who need it. You know what I'm saying? That it was so it was so emblematic of the attitude. And Biner and, and Gordis Rice, he's like, uh, Peter, you have no idea how we live here. Like we don't think about our annihilation. You know, it's very yeah, we have worry things to worry about, but we just don't think about it anymore. Johnny, do you think that that same thing is true, vis-a-vis Jews who live in the Galut? You know, the average uh, Jew living in London today. Does the existence of the state of Israel change his attitude about anti-Semitism? And I'll follow up, I'll just explain. Like, I, was re- I realized, like, my decision to dive in a minyan is, you know, in the time of corona is entirely a function of, do I think I'll get infected? Will I have to go into bidud? Is it dangerous? Is it not dangerous? Whereas, when talking to my friends and talking to my relatives, in America, it's a totally different uh, calculus because not only do they have to worry about getting infected or what have you, they also have to worry about what are people going to say about the Jews who are now davening in synagogue and they were a source, especially in New York, a major source of infection, like a very pop, you know, public one. And so the specter of anti-Semitism plays a role in the decisions that they make, all of the decisions that they make as a community. So do you think that the existence of Israel in some way changes their attitude toward anti-Semitism, or no, it's just what it is, and you know, Israel's there, and we're here, and we have to deal with it. So uh, I'll answer that question, but I do want to just reflect back on what Mali said, because she said exactly to a T how I feel, and how I felt since the very moment I moved here. Uh, and just to give a sense uh, for our listeners, for the first three years that I lived in Israel, I lived in the same neighborhood uh, as, as Ruben in, in Yab Bin Yamin and above, Yad Bin Yamin are lots of fighter jets which uh, fly uh, uh, from and to Tel Nof Air Base, which is just one, a couple of uh, kilometers from there. And truth be told, when you are on recordings, when you're thinking, uh, <laughs> the house can shudder, you know, with, with these repeated flights. But never did I resent it because uh, every single time, and this was uh, not just outside of wartime, but including wartime, um, I said, they would come and get me. And that wasn't, a, that wasn't they may, they could, they would. There is a sense when you live here that every fighter jet will come and get me. I was standing behind a soldier today and I just looked at him, he's holding a gun, and I said, that person doesn't know my name. He would take a bullet for me without thinking because that's what his service is about and that's what this state is about. 
and I've never felt that anywhere else. And that's not to say I don't have regard for police uh, people in, in the UK or soldiers, but never do you have that sense of the personal protection of that sense of brotherhood and sisterhood, of the certainty that you count as an individual because you're part of a nation, that whatever happens, the government would do, and we know oftentimes there are complaints about why didn't you do more, but the government would do all that is within their uh, realm of possibility to help you save you, get you back, if God forbid something would happen. Now, responding to your question, which is, do I think the state of Israel has changed the way people in the diaspora, and specifically from a UK perspective, look at Israel? Well, uh, sadly, uh, over the decades that Israel has existed, people have taken it for granted. You know, uh, Rabbi Sachs often says, Israel, in a home is a place where when you go there, they have to let you in. Israel is at home, and it's at home for all Jews. We have the law of return, maybe a complicated law, but that law of return is basically predicated on that premise that any Jew who comes here saying, let me in, the answer is, this is your home already, with pleasure. There are, though, unfortunately, those who are more disconnected from Israel, who'll use Israel to say, because of Israel, you're causing anti-Semitism. You're not a, a, a place where I can find refuge from it, your reason why I'm getting it because of Israel's policy, this, that, and the other, uh, sometimes self-hating Jews, sometimes just highly critical Jews. And they blame Israel for the rising anti-Semitism uh, throughout the world. I think that's uh, misguided on a whole bunch of levels. So you have the diaspora Jews who say, Israel is a place where uh, I, I feel that I'd be most protected from anti-Semitism. Sadly, there are some Jews, and it's important to acknowledge that, that are using Israel uh, as a justification for the rise of anti-Semitism, blaming this government or that government or this policy, that policy. Let's be perfectly blunt. If every single government hasn't solved the crisis of anti-Semitism, maybe it's nothing to do with the government. Maybe it's a fact that that exists. Um, uh, but uh, that is, unfortunately, a rising trend in the UK. Okay, I think I want to stop, stop here. Molly, do you want to add anything? No. All right, I think we'll stop here. I, we, we very much, I tried to keep it, for, uh, to this discussion of anti-Semitism to religious and Zionism, and I think we've accomplished that. Just coming to a different, uh, different ideas, different perspectives on, on a topic that I think uh, consumes us all, worries us all, concerns every one of us around the world. I want to thank Rav Johnny Salomon, Rav Mali Bravsky. Thank my Zampatachia. Encourage all of you to write, in a, uh, write a review for us on the iTunes store. Share RZ Weekly. If you're a regular listener, share it in your feeds. That helps new people discover our podcast. Write about it. Scream the rooftops. We're RZ Weekly. My name is Vince Folker. Have a great week, everybody.